The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production element of this podcast. Coming up a little bit later in the program, we will be joined by Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner, on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. Jody Smith will answer several questions regarding a letter that was sent out by the state agency, the North Dakota Land Department, who's looking to collect millions of dollars in unpaid natural gas royalties from oil and gas companies operating in the Bakken following a North Dakota Supreme Court ruling last summer. Article appeared in the Bismarck Tribune. North Dakota Petroleum Council Ron Ness was not happy with the letter that was sent out. I'm going to ask Jody Smith, what her comments are about Ron Ness's comments as well. So uh, coming up a little later in the program, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith responds to the letter that was sent out looking to collect millions of dollars from oil and gas companies in back royalties. Also, the OG brief, John Clark, Clark Energy Consulting. This week, drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business. Also, Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with William Insulation Company, WIC. Talk to us a little bit later on in the program to conclude the program about the false narratives and news and the rise against oil and gas that's happening in the public relations world and what to do about it. Full show today, folks. Full show today. Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner. Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with William Insulation Company and John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting all on the docket for today. Headlines coming up in just a moment or two. Our sponsor today is Target Hospitality. Featured event, Behind These Walls. Let's take a moment to mention about Behind These Walls, which is happening Thursday, February 27th. Thank you to Destiny McMillan. She's a senior landman out in Denver, Colorado. Well, out in Colorado. And she sent me this Notice here that the Energy Outreach Colorado is hosting Energy Poverty Demonstration Behind These Walls. That's happening February 27th, it's a Thursday, at the Denver Union Station from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. free and open to the public. Stop on out there, displaying what is behind these walls. They hope to spotlight the many struggles that people across Colorado face. Tens of thousands of families with children, elderly teachers, students, and people with disabilities or health concerns need critical support to afford their basic home energy costs every single year. That is February 27th, Thursday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. free to the public. Stop on out there at the Denver Union Station. And thank you, Destiny McMillan, Senior Landman, for sending us that event. If you'd like to have an event featured here on the Crude Life Podcast, email me, jason at thecrudelife.com. That's jason at thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, we're going to go to John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting for our weekly OG Brief 
Drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business is what John Clark of Clark Energy Consulting is calling this week's OG Brief. John Clark, how you doing? Hey, Jason. Doing well. Thank you for asking. Well, let's go over this week's OG Brief. What do you got for us for this week? So, yeah, this this week I, uh, I'd like to give a kudos to my buddies in drilling. Uh, we'll call this, I guess, Technical Thursday um, the OG brief, like you mentioned, drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business. Uh, quite a feat in horizontal drilling. In uh, horizontal shell well drilling, a uh, little lesson here, the, the terminal depth of a well is considered the toe, while the section of the curve, near the curve in the lateral, is called the heel. So if you ever hear someone mention lateral length, that's basically the heel-to-toe section of a well, the uh, horizontal section that gets fracked and and produced. You know, about a decade ago, lateral links were drilled somewhere around a mile, maybe a, less than a mile, you know, less than 5,000 feet. And I was looking at a chart, and that was what prompted this OG brief that's showing average lateral lengths by play. Uh, the chart is up and to the right, and lateral lengths continue to grow each quarter in every basin and it's really a testament to the technology and the learning curve of you know shale drilling and and that's the the primary technology that's allowed for oil and gas extraction and shale resources and it's it's just interesting to see that it continues to grow it's something i've experienced last year uh, the company i was with drilled a three mile lateral in the permian so we're talking 15,000 feet and to be able to go from 5,000 to 15,000 feet laterals in you know, less than a decade is quite an accomplishment. So I wanted to touch on that and kind of talk about a little bit on, you know, what it means for the business and kind of what I expect to see going forward uh, in 2020. So the, uh, you know, the reason lateral length is important, and I often speak to clients who ask about macro trends and kind of the impacts on shale developments, and so that's what I'll talk about today. As you drill longer wells, ultimately more oil and gas can be produced, you know, ultimately a fundamental driver in draining shale resources with less wells and a smaller surface impact. Uh, if you think back to the days of gushers in vertical wells, I've seen pictures of rigs stacked on top of rigs, and uh, it's it's quite a mess. But so you know, to be able to say that we're able to produce oil and gas with a small environmental footprint is is huge. Not everyone talks about that, but it is a testament to the technology and and how we're able to um, reduce our surface impact. So the key here is that more oil can be produced with less wells. So what does that mean? As investors continue to demand capital austerity, one of the best solutions is to drill longer laterals, and that's evidence in the data. Uh, this is because ultimately return on capital employed, you may hear this as ROCE, uh, is significantly higher as you drill longer wells compared to many other well-designed factors. So all that means is uh, the longer well you drill, the better chance at producing oil at a lower cost. But 
their longer wells don't come without their own risks and complexities. A few of those uh, risks include getting stuck, arrows and window targeting, being able to run casing to bottom, uh, being able to cement the whole well, increasing the number of interventions, also known as trips, needed for plug and perf, and milling of those plugs, in addition to limitations on uh, the plug milling reach. Um, the uh, there certainly have been advances in the technology that have helped solve these problems as engineers continue to prove longer wells as viable to producing more with less, uh, a key trend in 2020. So compared with last year, you know, rig count is down about 25%, while frat crews are down around 33%. Um, Years ago, one frat crew could service around two drilling rigs, but due to efficiencies and advancements in the rig technology and being able to drill longer wells, we're seeing that now one frat crew can will service around two and a half to three rigs. And a lot of the rigs that have been laid down are the less performing rigs. So the, 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 the rigs that can drill these long wells are the ones that are active right now. Uh, but we've continued to see more wells being completed and drilled with less number of rigs, so also a testament to the technology. Uh, so in this OG's brief I'll publish, you'll uh, you'll see the chart. It's up and to the right, and, and uh, I think the three-mile laterals are becoming the norm, whereas, uh, you know, a decade ago we were drilling one-mile laterals, so... That's kind of the topic for, for this week's OG Brief, and I'm glad to share it. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday, with a week in review on Friday. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Provolone, our entitled intern, is manning the production elements of the program. And today, Provolone, we don't have time to chat because we've got a full show. I've got things to do. I'm already behind the docket on a Monday, which is never a good sign. But you know what? At least it's a sign. And at least it shows that I'm busy. I've got momentum. Now, either I can move that momentum forward or momentum is going to move me backwards. We like to stay ahead of things. That's why people are calling me the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. These are the types of emails I get. Also events I get. By the way, Moody River Band is the band that's playing. It's our featured crossover music here at The Crude Life. We like to extend our hand to the people not working in the industry to try to entertain, try to educate try to inform them about the oil and gas industry since it does make up 96% of our day-to-day lives from our toothbrush to our tires to our toothpaste for crying out loud. So we try to have nice civil rational conversations with folks and we have musicians that have crossed over with us. So instead of having musicians protest the oil and gas industry, now we have them promoting it. 
Bands like the Moody River Band. Our links are available at the Crude Life Podcast show page. If you have a band from your local neck of the woods, or you know somebody who would like their music broadcasted here on the Crude Life Podcast, we put the links there. It helps promote their music, give us some nice music to have as our music beds here on the podcast, so it's a win-win. Jason at thecrudelife.com. If you know of a band that would like their music used here as our Crude Life crossover with the Moody River Band in the month of February. Next month, we'll get a new band ready for you folks. Jason at thecrudelife.com. Also, the links are available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. Okay, what do we got coming up next? Is it headline time? All right, we're going to get to headlines, folks. This is where we read the headline in the first two paragraphs and comment on it because that is the average person today. They read the headline. They read, if they're lucky, you'll get two paragraphs read, and then they move on. You know, a lot of times it's just the first couple sentences. And today's person in this busy, busy world, they basically headline, paragraph, make the assessment, it's done, move on. So that's how we like to play headlines here. So let's take a look at what we have on today's headline, which Provolone puts together as part of his production duties. By the way, folks, Provolone is our entitled intern. He comes to us from the university where his parents said he was majoring in entitlement. So he needed to learn some hard work, need to learn the respect that was put into the energy industry. So he is our entitled intern here, manning the production elements of the podcast, doing an excellent job. The first one we have today, wind energy feeding at the government subsidy trough for 28 years. And this comes from Natural Gas Now. Oh, Tom Shepstone, he's a regular on the program. And uh, he's also does a great job. And this is by guest blogger Robert Bradley Jr., the founder and CEO of the Institute for Energy Research. A common question is, how many times has the production tax credit for wind power production been extended since the original law was enacted in 1992? The answer is a dirty dozen, which makes the federal lifeline to wind power 28 years old. That's old age for a government subsidy, particularly one where an industry itself has long proclaimed its impending competitiveness. We're going to stop right there. And Robert Bradley, you are dead on. I remember back in 1992, Byron Dorgan, Senator Byron Dorgan from North Dakota, was one of the first champions when it comes to wind energy, proclaiming North Dakota was the Saudi Arabia of wind. We are the Saudi Arabia when it comes to wind in North Dakota. So he was a big champion behind the anything to do with wind energy. 28 years later, wind energy still needs subsidies to make it. I've been told by many people a lot smarter than me, the second the wind energy subsidies run out, the second they will go out of business. And that's not a good sign, especially when the government is forcing people to go to wind energy. They're not enhancing anymore. They're not encouraging anymore. They're forcing people. They're forcing communities to go to wind energy. An unproven, unsafe, unreliable, unrecyclable energy. Do you realize the wind turbines themselves? I don't even, as far as I know, you can't even recycle them. In fact, there's layers of epoxies and chemicals to where it ends up getting a fiberglass to where you have to wear gloves because if you don't, you'll cut yourself 
It's a pretty intense process. They used to make them where I lived in Fargo, North Dakota at DMI for years. In fact, here's a little fun piece of nugget information, Cliff Clavenism, if you will. When they transport those turbines, at least back in the day, they couldn't go in reverse. So they had to map the whole trip from California to Salem, Massachusetts. I don't know. Just make that up. But they had to do that. They couldn't go in reverse. So the whole trip, they had to map out ahead of time going forward. So uh, 28 years later, I tell you what, that's unbelievable. I still believe that we should be shifting the wind subsidies to natural gas. If we shifted the wind subsidies that are 28 years old over to natural gas, those crazy scientists, those clever capitalists that are sleeping on well sites, checking monitors, figuring out ways to get emission management and flaring and all this other stuff done. In fact, the problem would be solved. The flaring would be solved. If they shifted the amount of money, half of the money that goes from wind to natural gas, stop making these energy companies put more money into R&D. I'm telling you, some super new plastic would be made, some new feedstock we've probably never seen before, all kinds of different. In fact, they'd probably get greenhouses to grow blueberries down in Texas in the Permian because they're already trying to do some of that stuff with natural gas down in the Permian. You fold in some of the other technology, maybe from Iceland, that they're using for natural gas and greenhouses and that sort of thing. It's incredible what you'd be able to do. But if, if, if we're not going to pay attention to it, if we're going to demonize natural gas instead of trying to incentivize it, well, the reality is going to pick up pretty soon. And if it's anything like Germany, your energy bill is going to be four to five times more expensive than it was when they started the deal. And they're going to have to fire up the coal plants once again, and they're going to have to figure out ways to get energy because it is yet to be proven. So I'm not going to get too much further on my soapbox on here, but the link to this story is available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. But point of the story, good, good one, Provolone, is that wind energy subsidies, at least for this round on the new push that they've had, is 30 years old, 28 years old. Since 1992, the production tax credit. All right, next we go to state issues letters to collect millions in unpaid gas royalties. From the Bismarck Tribune, a state agency is looking to collect millions of dollars in unpaid natural gas royalties from companies operating in the oil patch following a North Dakota Supreme Court ruling last summer. The Department of Trust Lands sent a letter out this week to dozens of operators outlining how they must pay money they had previously deducted from royalties owed to the Agency for Developing State-Owned Minerals. The move follows discussions with the Board of University and Schools Lands, which has met behind closed doors five times over the past three months to provide guidance on the matter. The Board manages state-owned land and minerals for the benefit of public education. Well, there's quite a bit in there. Tell you what, Jody Smith is going to be on in just a bit here on the program. I'm going to ask her about meeting five times behind closed doors, if that's normal. Also, there's some comments in here by Ron Ness, president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, who says, I would say that the oil and gas companies are absolutely disgusted and flabbergasted and extremely angry. That's three ands. 
think I need to ask her about that as well. And what's going on out there? Why all of a sudden they send it? And what's going? I mean, is this is this more Hatfield and McCoy stuff or? Anyway, that's coming up in just a moment or two. So we'll kind of call an audible on this headline. State issues letters to collect millions in unpaid gas royalties. Jody Smith on our Bach and Barbecue phone lines coming up in just a moment or two after headlines. And our last headline here. Six-year-old girl attacked by mountain lions, saved by adult who punched cat in ribs during mauling. A six-year-old girl was attacked by a 160-pound mountain lion as she was walking through a park and was rescued just in time when an adult that was nearby punched the cat in the ribs. The incident occurred on Sunday morning just before 10 a.m. in the Rancho San Antonio County Park and Open Space Preserve in Santa Clara County, California, when the six-year-old is walking with her parents in the group of six adults and four children when attacked, the mountain lion suddenly jumped out when the mountain lion suddenly jumped out of the bushes and began to attack the child. Well, I suppose we got to blame it on fracking, global warming. I mean, the, the cat was probably, the mountain lion was probably so discombobulated from drinking the uh, radioactive wastewater and, and climate change made it so hungry that it had to attack the six-year-old, right? It had to do with fracking and climate change. No, I'm just kidding. If you think I'm serious, I'm kidding. It just seems like that'd be something that they'd blame on on uh, climate change or oil and gas companies. This is from ABC News. Uh, interesting story, actually. I'm glad. To, obviously, everything's okay. She's fine. Great story for the rest of her life to tell now that she's she's lived it. But in the ribs, I was always told to punch him in the nose. It's a shark or if it's a cat, whatever it is, you punch him in the nose, you hit him in the nose, they're going to go away. Um Apparently in the ribs, it worked. So uh, good news that, uh, <laughs> but it, it, is an, it is another lesson that when we're out in open space, nature is wild, okay? The world is a chaotic place. Earthquakes happen every day. The planet has lightning strikes. Tsunami once a month across the Pacific Ocean. The earth is an active planet. The things that live on the earth are chaotic by nature. That is the organization, is the chaos. So it's good to see that the girl was okay, but at the same time, it's a good reminder that uh, there, are, there are dangers out there. And um, apparently if you punch it in the ribs, that'll work out. Okay, we got to get to our sponsor here, Target Hospitality. Sponsors, of course, keep our lights on. And once the lights are on, we like to inform, entertain, and educate the masses on how those lights stay on. Because so many people believe it's just by the flick of a switch when it's the hardworking men and women out there up and down the midstream, the upstream, the salmon stream, making sure those lights stay on. So Target Hospitality, thank you for being one of those companies to help keep our lights on, literally and also figuratively. Target Hospitality Corporation is a specialty rental and hospitality services company. The company focuses on building, owning, and operating housing communities across energy and government end markets. Target Hospitality provides cost-effective and customized accommodations, culinary services, and hospitality solutions. For more information, visit www.targethospitality.com.
It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, there's a world changer down the street and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. We've got Provolone manning the production elements. Provolone is our entitled intern. We've got we're broadcasting here from the Hatch Coaching Studios. We've got, let's see, Bailey Midkiff, Jake Milney coming around the corner here after our interview with Jody Smith coming up on our Bakken at Barbecue phone lines, which we're going to get to in just a moment or two. Let's get to Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner, on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. I want to find out a little bit more information what's going on here with this Bismarck Tribune story written by Amy Sisk on state issues letters to collect millions in unpaid gas royalties. Provolone, do we got her patched in? Jody Smith, Land Commissioner for the Board of University and School Lands. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today. Wanted to have you on to talk about a story that I saw in the Bismarck Tribune is uh, I believe they're the ones that uh, broke it originally I guess if that's the right way to say it uh, state agency that would be the land the Department of Land Trust sorry you're the land commissioner but it'd be the Department of Land Trust that the there's some unpaged nat- natural gas royalties from companies operating in the oil patch in North Dakota uh, following North Dakota Supreme Court ruling last summer. Uh, what was that ruling, and where are we at right now with these unpaid natural gas royalties? Well, the ruling came out from the Supreme Court, and it's commonly referred to as the Newfield case. And so the litigation was brought against the board in March of 2018, kind of made its way through the district court and then up to the Supreme Court. Uh, we argued our case in June of 19, and the court issued their ruling in July of 19. Uh, they then remanded the case bound down to district court for interpretation and kind of guide us on next steps. And so we've been waiting for the district court to kind of issue out uh, the interpretation of that ruling. And so the board just felt like it was in the best interest of these operators who are accruing interest every month to issue out a notification just making them all aware of this ruling and giving them a formal kind of guideline or, or format in which they can come into compliance with the state. We deal with about 80 gas operators, and I think it's really important um, to note that this is only for gas. It has nothing to do with oil. And so of those payers, we have about 40 of them who are out of compliance with the state. They have been notified that they're out of compliance with the state just via a, an audit that we've probably done over the past five years. Uh, we sent this notification out to all 80 operators just so that they would all understand kind of the process that we're going through right now. And we have been contacted this week by at least 20 of those payers um, trying to get into compliance with the state within the, the first 90 days. Also in the story, there was a paragraph about 
some meetings behind closed doors and had to do with um, the board managed state-owned land and minerals for the benefit of public education. That was it. Uh, just the, the is that normal behind closed doors? Is just the fact that it was in the story kind of stood out to me a little bit, and then the benefit of the public education. Talk about that too. Yeah, uh, every from time to time we will go into executive session, so that's the behind closed doors, and typically we only do that when it is surrounding litigation. We are very much aware by issuing this letter and by requesting that these 40 payers get into compliance with the state that there may be additional litigation brought against the board um, for multitudes of reasons. Our hope and our goal that would be that those payers would see this as like a good faith effort to allow them to come into compliance. Uh, historically, we've charged 12% penalty and an 18% interest. Um, my statutory authority only allows me to waive the penalty and to bring the interest down to prime plus 4%. And so that's kind of, if you look, go online and you look at our flow chart, that's really the first bucket. If you can get into compliance with us in the first 90 days, then, you know, we're actually bringing that down to that amount. We know some of those conversations that we were having, though, should be held private just pending current litigation. Um, we are in litigation with Continental. Um, and that lawsuit does involve gas, but it also involves oil. And so um, anytime we're talking about litigation and matters that may be brought forth to the courts, uh, we tend to hold those in executive session. And as far as it relates to the trust that we manage, you know, we manage over a, a dozen trusts for the state. Uh, most of those are educational trusts, uh, and those are their permanent funds. These funds go into an endowment, essentially, or that trust, we invest them prudently, and then we use the earnings off of those to pay for K through 12 education and also for our university systems. So most people don't realize that we have a fund for NDSU, we have a fund for the Bismarck State College. So when we're collecting these royalty payments, those don't go, that doesn't go into my general operating expenses here. That actually goes into those trusts and helps pay for education throughout the state of North Dakota. And this past year, uh, just for K through 12 education, we are going to be paying for over 14% of the cost of education for every pupil um, who goes to public school in the state of North Dakota, which is the greatest percentage in the United States, honestly, because um, we have benefited so much from the oil and gas industry, and then we have such a lower student population than some of our other peer states um, who are wealthy in fossil fuels. So we're, we're very blessed in that. And so we consider our, we really have a good partnership, honestly, with the, with the oil and gas industry, and we, we hope to continue that. Well, it's an ebb and flow, that's for sure. I mean, that's usually the way it works with government. Sometimes you're happy right. they're, they're there, and sometimes you're, you're not so happy. And, right. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about Ron Ness. I was reading the story in charge of the North Dakota Petroleum Council. I don't know if you've talked to him or if that's just the, the um, author of the story, Amy Sisk, who, who reached out to him. And uh, the re reason I ask is extremely high level of frustration was in, was in quotes. And, and his quote was, I would say they're absolutely disgusted and flabbergasted and extremely angry. So there's three things there. Um, Bismarck, small town. I know you both are in Bismarck. I don't know how often you guys, your paths cross or if you sent an email or anything along those lines. Have you been in talk with, with industry? Have you been in talk with, with Ron Ness? What, what is, what are they saying to you guys in terms of, uh, I guess I'm looking for more than disgusted, flabbergasted and, and extremely angry and to see if they're, they're in conversations with you or if, I guess, what, what is the root of it? 
Um, well, I, I am aware that um, the Petroleum Council, to some level, or some of their members, did reach out to each of our board members and had conversations with them prior to the board providing me this guidance. I did have a meeting with Mr. Ness probably two or three weeks ago, just letting him know that this, I kind of had an idea, I didn't know the specifics of the flow chart, but I had an idea of what it was going to entail. And so I met with him and Mr. Pelton and just asked them to, you know, to kind of notify um, all of their members and all the payers that we work with and ask them to start getting their information ready because, uh, you know, when we did ask for them to come into compliance, it would be time sensitive. And so they were aware we were having these conversations. Um, either Mr. Pelton or Mr. Ness were in the boardrooms whenever they were allowed to be, whenever it was held in open session. Um, and then after each board meeting, you know, I usually stand with Mr. Pelton and have just a very brief conversation um, to whatever degree I can. Typically when it's in executive session, I'm kind of bound by the confines of executive session and not able to share what's going on in there. Um, but the board did give me directive on a couple of occasions. Um, I am aware that uh, Mr. Ness actually contacted the Attorney General. The Attorney General also provided him guidance that this would be coming, kind of a minimum of what we would be looking at and to really start preparing those those payers. So um, of those those operators that have gotten in contact with the department, we have some who are um, expressing gratitude to us just because we were able to get into a position where we could waive the penalties and we could drop that interest rate down as low as we're legally able to do. And so I'm not sure where he's getting the disgusted and flabbergasted and shocked from um, because this has been going on since I think it was the end of October, perhaps it was November. We've had multiple board meetings. It's always on the agenda. This is a discussion item that's coming. Um, and we have been in discussions with our office that, you know, there would be a rubric or flow chart of some sort, you know, in an attempt to get these uh, payers into compliance with the state. So, Well, that's what I was wondering. I mean, if this has been over a year ago, my guess is that, you know, there there had been some things leading up to to this, and right. um, was that Brady Pelton, by the way, that you named? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sure, sir. okay, that's right. I forgot he was with the Petroleum Council. Yeah, he he's is. been here for a few years. Jeez, man, it's he been. Has, yeah, I think he's been there since I've been here, and I've been in this role for two and a half years. Okay, yeah, all right. I know he's he's with the uh, oil and gas producing counties. I think before that, or something along those lines. Some something to do with uh, the the local side of things. But uh, look at me. I digress here a little bit. That's and, okay. And, I tend to do that as well. Um, just asking. Uh, I guess one one more question, just off the top of my head. Um, we do cover minerals from time to time, and I know some. Some states and some areas, they, they pay if the mineral has been flared and some if there's not. Is, is there anything that uh, involves like the, the mineral owners themselves or is this just the um, oil and gas producers? Do you know what I mean by that question? How there's, you know, there's... I think so because um, we, we receive a lot of calls in our department from the private mineral owners. Um, and this is specific just to state leases. Okay. It has nothing to do with the private mineral owner. Um, and the reason for that is our lease. And our lease, um, some provisions with our lease, particularly this one about paying royalties and being able to take deductions, um, it has been in place since 1979. And it has never changed since 1979. So we have communications with a lot of these operators dating back into the 80s notifying them that they're not allowed to take deductions um, for, 
for the production of gas. And so uh, it, it won't relate just to the mineral owners. You know, we have a gross production, um, and we should be paid on gross production with an arm's length transaction, and that's kind of the key there. So there is a little bit of a difference because some of the other states just have different contractual terms, and really that's what this this lawsuit came down to when it went up to the Supreme Court, that there is clearly a difference between gross and net. And so since our our lease says gross, then we should be paid on gross. And again, you know, when I say we be paid, it's it's really every single school in the state of North Dakota should be paid for gross production because every single school in the state benefits from the funds that we bring in. And so, you know, I know there's been a, a, a lot of look on our board and the decisions that they've made, but they, they truly have a fiduciary responsibility to protect the assets of these trusts and ensure that we have the most viable system to education in the state of North Dakota. So just to kind of summarize here and to make sure I'm following this, um, mm-hmm. is, is this a done deal now? Is there any appeals after this? Or as far as the state's concerned, they you've put the letters out and you're fully anticipating that the oil companies uh, respond accordingly to the letter? I fully hope they respond accordingly to the letter. Sure, that. <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. Like, like, what, what's, what, at, the, at, at the end of the day, the bottom line, what are we looking at here? Right. Because is is it uh, is this just another step, or because usually when the Supreme Court's involved, that's usually it, isn't it? Right. That's it. I mean, they made, they issued a ruling. Um, there was a request. There was a petition for a rehearing by Newfield um, to reevaluate the case in July, and the Supreme Court declined to rehear the case. And so they have made their decision. And so we're here to try to implement this decision. And a lot of people say, how did you come up with this rubric? How did you come up with these decisions? You know, I really go back to the law. The law really guides us and provides me with those boundaries and those guardrails on how low I can pull the interest. Um, It guides me in how far back I can go. Um, And so it's not that we're sitting in the land board is kind of making these decisions up. Um, We're reviewing the law and we're going back decades so that we can understand legislative intent and, you know, and how do we move forward. You know, this this case was case law for the nation. There are a lot of other states that are really looking at this um, because my my peer agencies across other states, you know, have indicated to me that they, there are some additional concerns in their states. And so my hope is that, you know, through this, you know, we kind of work through this. And again, we're I'm in a relationship with the oil and gas industry, which is like every relationship, right? It has its ups and downs. And um, I certainly appreciate all of them that have gotten in contact with our department who have thanked us for this opportunity, you know, and I certainly appreciate all those payers who have been in compliance with the state for the past 40 years um, and that we've never actually issued an audit finding to. And many of them actually have reached out to us in the past week and said, hey, can you check our records one more time? Just make sure, you know, we've stayed in compliance with you. So, you know, this is just kind of one of those steps. Um, we do anticipate at the end of this, although I hope not, you know, of those 40, you know, there may be a couple that are in compliance with the state. And at that point, the board makes need to make the decision whether or not we enter into litigation. Since I've been here, um, we've not sued anyone. And I think that's important to remember. We didn't bring this lawsuit uh, to the Supreme Court. The operators did. And so I just think it came down with the decision that maybe they didn't prefer. And so our goal is just kind of work through that process and ensure that, you know, I'm firm but fair with everybody and I apply the same rules to everybody. So, To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com.
Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. When it's time to put the booze down, find us some solid ground, clean this damn life up, and turn it all around. And that's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank Jody Smith for coming on today's program, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith. Also, John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting for stopping by with the weekly OG Brief Drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business. And let's not forget, Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with William Insulation Company are going to explain how facts need to be brought forward and the false narrative in the news and what is rising against oil and gas coming up in just a moment or two on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. I'd like to thank Target Hospitality once again for keeping our lights on, allowing us to inform, educate, and entertain the masses on how those lights stay on by the hardworking men and women out there in the upstream, downstream, salmon stream, heck, even the soda stream. Well, thank you, Target Hospitality. Target Hospitality Corporation is a specialty rental and hospitality services company. The company focuses on building, owning, and operating housing communities across the energy and government and markets. Target Hospitality provides cost-effective and customized accommodations, culinary services, and hospitality solutions. For more information, visit TargetHospitality.com. Also want to mention our featured event today is Behind These Walls, happening Thursday, February 27th in Denver, Colorado. It's put on by Energy Outreach Colorado. They're going to do a little demonstration about highlighting energy poverty. Also, our Johnny Green Eco Watch, Waste Problems for Wind and Solar. That's why we need proper decommissioning. That link is available at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on today's program, the Moody River Band, our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching and Bakken Barbecues is our phone line sponsor. Also, Jason at thecrudelife.com if you'd like to email us a guest, an event, or anything else that has to do with energy or, well, maybe a good chili recipe. We'll take one of those too. That's going to do it for today. Bailey Midkiff, Jake Milney with William Insulation Company on our Bach and Barbecue phone lines right around the corner. Provolone, excellent job today. We'll get you talking on the program tomorrow. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney from William Insulation Company, WIC, in just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with WIC. Well, I think, first of all, the most important thing is to, uh, you get to destroy the argument with facts. If there's an issue and it's brought up, well, that's great. Let's talk about the facts. How are we going to get to uh, whether, if this is truly an issue, let's look at the facts. How are we going to fix it? But to get mobilized, I've, I've told you before, I think that it, it starts with the education just like your story of moving to North Dakota, wanting to protest. And, and wow, I, I actually like this industry and look at the good things they're doing and look at you now. You know, we, I think it's going to start with uh, 
education, whether it be uh, with uh, kids or young kids getting into college, and and uh, you know they they're getting told what uh, what their liberal arts professors telling them, and and that's not necessarily true. It's just because they're typically not everyone, but a lot of them are very left leaning, and and uh, they're they're preaching this this agenda, and so I think that as long as uh, everyone stays active and and out in the industry in the industry and and in the spotlight let let it be shown that uh we're not afraid to uh to say this is what we stand for and, and uh you know, again like i've said many times with with you even on the last uh time we talked was it, it all comes down to you know facts are always going to overcome the agenda because if the uh the agenda doesn't have facts and it just has feelings Facts will always win. To stay mobilized, it's going to be in the education, getting out there, teaching these these young folks the, exactly what's going on here. And, and there, there's there's more to the story. This is a if you think about it of a of a Earth type uh, situation. That what's out there in the news and, and the agenda. That's just the crust. We still got the mantle and the core to talk about. And that was Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with WIC. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to like, follow, share, comment on our social media. All of our pages from the Facebook to the YouTubes to the Twitters, even the LinkedIn's are available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery.
The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.